Hello, and welcome to Nevermind the Pain Points, a podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your business challenges. Pulling on our network of clients, partners, experienced employees, and industry experts, we wanted to share with you our views and opinions on common business challenges. As a consulting firm that deals with these pain points on a daily basis, we thought we were well-placed to give insights on addressing these challenges. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Nevermind the Pain Points, brought to you by Clarisys. In this episode, we will be bringing together our in-house experts to talk all things data. We look at its influence across industries, our companies and our customers, and the culture and mindset needed to bring your people on a day's journey. Today, we will be shining a spotlight on the not-for-profit sector and delving into why data and its management is becoming more and more important for charities and what they can do to begin their data journey. I'm joined by two of our data gurus in Clarisys, Phil Richardson and Anisha Harindran, to discuss. So to set the scene a little, in 2020, nearly 80% of not-for-profits saw higher demand for their services with limited resources. At the same time, roughly two-thirds of not-for-profits are facing a higher demand from donors for the transparency of their funds, and they struggle to demonstrate the impact of this. So overall, the main challenges for the not-for-profit sector is pressure to do more with less, and emphasized even more with the current pandemic. And secondly, the, to prove the effectivity of donations by raising mission awareness and tracking the impact of efforts. So with all of this being underpinned by the difficulties capturing and managing accurate data, Phil, hearing this and these statistics, these challenges, do they surprise you? What are your thoughts? I don't think they're surprising in the sense that uh, you know no one saw this coming. This is this is in a sense it's not a new uh, challenge for uh, for any organisation to link the decisions it's making day to day with its overall intent longer term to to its strategy, maybe aligning to its purpose as stated for the benefit of shareholders and its customers, particularly in the not-for-profit sector, its mission. You know, what, why is it there as an organisation? Who is it trying to benefit and how? I think the difference is that we've seen a couple of trends which have been magnified by the recent pandemic. So one trend is that for a while, the focus when it came to data and information was very much around protection. It was a defensive attitude towards information, uh, largely magnified by uh, regulations like GDPR, whereby there was this enormous stick not to get anything wrong. You know, don't lose any personally identifiable information and make sure that the information you keep has its has a purpose. I think they're now switching their attention to what can we achieve with the information at our disposal. So I think that there's a shift in mindset, that's one part of it. I think there's also a growing acceptance that data will become ever more important as a means of competitive advantage for organizations in the future. And then thirdly, there's the, the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you can't, you, can't, uh, you can't read or talk about anything these days without hearing about the pandemic. But what, what the pandemic has done is it's reduced people's disposable income and it's really focused individuals minds on how they are using their money where where are they spending their money or where are they donating their money what we're seeing is uh, as a consequence of that is greater pressure in the not-for-profit sector to explain how the money that's being donated is being used and this aligns very well with the mission of the organizations themselves because they too want to use their limited resources to try and 
maximize the benefit uh, that they deliver using those limited resources and of course how else do they do that unless they have some means of measuring the benefit to the beneficiaries and reporting on that both as a means to engender more greater giving in the future and also as a, a form of feedback so that when they decide to in, uh, invest or uh, fund a project they um, they know whether that intent and perceived opportunity became a reality or not. I think one thing I would add to that would be that there are differences in the level of reporting across the not-for-profit se sector. So in social care, you do have those CQC standards like Ofsted, and that's meant that in those cases, there has been a requirement for them to do reporting. However, in other areas of the not-for-profit sector, there is no requirement to do any kind of, kind of formalized reporting. And so between those uh, organizations, there's no commonality. So it's subject to the individual's organization to determine how much reporting they do do. So it could be very light touch, or it could be an imitation of Ofsted. So now that we are seeing in the pandemic that you do need to provide your donors with more insight into kind of how the, those funds that you're providing or that they are providing are being used, there is more of a push, especially in those organisations where there isn't any formalised reporting to do more formalised reporting. Great. And that's the context of the challenge in which our charities are in today. Just bringing it back to data management, why, why would these charities find it so difficult, especially in, in these times, to manage their data? I don't think these specific times are making it difficult for charities to, to manage their data. Uh, um, I think the challenge has always been for, for charities to express the benefit that they deliver. Part of the reason for that, that challenge is that there isn't a very simple translation of the sorts of approaches that you might take in a commercial sector. So in fact, actually, the, the challenges faced by not-for-profits charities is fairly similar in this regard to public sector, where um, you don't have that free market commercial link between the benefits to the customer and the, the money that's received by the organisation. If I look at this in a commercial context, a really strong indicator that an organisation is delivering benefit to its customers is that they are buying its products or services. So you've got the amalgamation of both the beneficiary and the person who's giving the money to the organisation embodied in the same person. Now, obviously, there are some, you know, some use cases where that's not not the case. But in general, you can consider the the customer to also be the consumer, and therefore, the fact that they're even parting with their money for the product or service in itself is uh, indicating that there is benefit in that. There's value to them. You know, they they're getting more than they're giving. The read across to not for profit is quite tricky because in the charitable sector the the person parting with their money is the donor and they're not the beneficiary they're doing it as an altruistic act um, and so they can't immediately see the benefits of the money that they've given to the charity and it's 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 making that link between the beneficiaries and the donors which is um so important now in a way that it's always been important, but I think it's even more important now because donors are being that much more discerning about where they donate and how much they donate. So a, a charity that's able to make that link and articulate the benefit that can be achieved with the donations that they receive 
is is so much more compelling as uh, you know as a recipient of donors' money, and that that's I think what has changed is that the the challenge hasn't necessarily uh, fundamentally changed. It's just that the focus on it is that much greater now. Absolutely, and um, Anisha, what do you what do you think about that? And maybe how how could charities improve their focus on data management? So practically speaking, it's very difficult to make any change without really understanding where you are as an organization. So we would advocate that the first step would be to conduct a data maturity assessment. So you assess your current maturity across the five areas of the operating model. So this will highlight areas of improvement and addressing them may seem a little bit overwhelming, but we suggest taking an agile approach. So you can prioritize the areas of improvement that you've identified on the basis that not all data can be viewed as equally important. And that's purely based on its use um, in the organization. So for example, in the not-for-profit space, you may decide that actually data quality is something that needs to be addressed. And within that, the first priority would be to look at addressing data quality within donor data. So by taking this incremental approach, you can start getting value out of your data early and learn from that experience to build your data maturity. It will also make the delivery in and of itself much, much more manageable. So that beast of a challenge that you originally saw it as would become a lot less overwhelming for you. Great. That's that's brilliant, Nisha. And I think that's alluding to what we talked about in our last blog where data needs to be cleaned and done in a well-governed way. Bill, did you have any additions, any comments? Yeah, I think Anisha's spot on there. You know, uh, data is a great place to start, but it's not the entire picture. Um, and culture plays such a massive part in this because ultimately what we're talking about is an element of behaviour. So the behaviour um, of the organisation as a whole and the kinds of things that it's trying to influence outside of itself. So to, to look at it as purely a data problem or a technology problem in isolation, I think is, is disingenuous and won't actually get to the root cause because what we're looking at here is um, something which requires all the elements of the operating model to work together in order for the outcome that everyone's looking for to be achieved. You know, it's no, it's no good having first-class data and excellent reporting if ultimately nobody looks at it or um, those individuals who do look at it uh, struggle to interpret it and there is something about data data literacy and trust in the data which is also incredibly important and I think yeah this is a personal perception so so I I realize not everybody might agree with me on this one but um, I do think that there is a a general sense that that data is just a bit too cold and it's just a bit too, um, you know, it's too distant from uh, the, the humanity of charities. And, I, and my perspective is, is completely the reverse. I accept that data cannot give you the complete picture, but what data can do is it can avoid human biases. And particularly now that we're able to gather data at scale and interpret it in ways that no human could, even if you gave them an entire lifetime to do it. We're getting to the point now where it's a, a phenomenal extra tool in the set of tools at 
the disposal of uh, an organisation in order to make decisions about where it uses its limited resources. Absolutely, Phil. I, you know, I think it's really important these days to be evidence-based in actions and showing benefits. So altruistic work that charities do ought to be grounded in decisions, in actions that benefit. And, and the best way to do that is showing trends over, over time and actions which truly benefit the end, the end users. And that, like you say, goes back to giving the beneficiaries confidence that their money is being used in a, in, a, in a way that is most effective. We've talked about multiple things so far, and we've talked about the, the need to show benefit, the actions that charities do to be effective and how data can enable that. So if we were to wrap this around a framework or a way to think about what the next steps should be about governance, about cleaning data, about um, the maturity of where a charity might be, in their stage of their data journey, how could we how could we address that? How could we think about that? Yeah, there's no doubt that this is a scary problem, especially coming back to that point about organisations as a whole not necessarily being that data literate. You know, tending to um, have a a small number of highly qualified, highly technically competent people who are the data team, and then the rest of the organisation sort of relying very much on their specialism and their their knowledge. What we're advocating is raising that raising that level uh, of knowledge, and doing that can be quite a scary prospect. So where do you start? I think is the question. Yeah, where where would an organisation start? This is really interesting actually because Anisha has experience of this. So instead of me talking about it, perhaps it's better that uh, she she gives us a bit of an overview of where would you start as an organisation. Thanks for that, Phil. When it comes to understanding how you begin on your data journey, I think you need to evaluate your data maturity against five dimensions. And that's what makes up the framework. So the first is vision and values. And by that, I mean, how is data perceived by your people? So is it a tool to enable decision-making or to them, is it seen as a chore? Second is people. How embedded is data in your culture and your behaviors across all levels of your organization. So from experience, some of the problems predominantly lie in data upskilling, which is something you had previously mentioned, Phil. The third is reporting. So how much is reporting being utilized, not only for compliance, but to showcase that benefit uh, realization? And for not-for-profits, again, earlier in the podcast, we focused in on how not-for-profits are specifically using reporting as a tool to show their donors of um, the benefits of their uh, donations. Fourth is technology. So how does your technology support you in ensuring data is not only clean, but of high quality? And then the final one is governance. So how are you managing and maintaining your data and its quality? These are the five dimensions that apply to all organizations, but the weighting on each of those dimensions differs. So, for example, in corporate organizations, the weighting might be driven more towards profit, whereas in not-for-profits, we know that it's primarily driven by the services that they provide to the, um, to the communities that they impact. So there's no doubt that this can be a very scary prospect to to improve 
uh, the the situation for the organisation you know, to to uh, try and um, address all of the various uh, perspectives that we've we've talked about previously in this podcast. And what we would advocate is probably unsurprisingly for Clarice's is you know be practical and be agile about it. So um, the the practical thing is it's very difficult to make any change without really understanding where you are as an organisation. And, and so we would advocate uh, basically gaining enough knowledge to make some improvements. So take of the order of a month, maybe a couple of months to assess the maturity of the organisation, the data maturity of the organisation. And when we say that, we're not, as Nisha was alluding to, we're not talking about just data quality or just the technology stack. We're talking about the entire operating model of the organization you know, are your people aligned do they have the right skills does the performance management work well is your culture the kind of culture that's receptive to the use of data it's all that sort of stuff as well so we're saying take stock of where you are and then the, i guess the big question then is when you know where you are then what do you do because at that point the problem may not be any less huge and uh, frankly scary so, you know, what, what's the practical thing to do? What's the agile thing to do? So I think we need to uh, realise that actually across those five dimensions, it doesn't mean that everything is equally weighted. And I think that's dependent on not only the sector, uh, but the organisations themselves. So if you were to look at your data maturity and you were to assess it, you may find that culture, for example, is what causes your data maturity to not be as high as you'd like and therefore when it comes to moving forward and how you increase your data maturity that's a focus area uh, for you to look at. I think what I find quite a lot is culture seems to play quite a big part um, in trying to change people's perception of how how data is viewed and how data can be managed in the future. I, I don't know whether you agree with this Nisha but I think that the, the simplest way I can explain it is that not all data is equally valuable, right? Not, not all data is equal in that sense. There's some data that matters more than others. And there are some uses of data that matter more than others. Um, so can you kind of expand on that a little bit? What's that look like in practice? You know, how do you, how do you eat the elephant? <laughs> so I think to your first point about not having all data be equal if you were to take the example of not-for-profit you may find that for example volunteer data is actually what's most important to you because that's that could be the resources that you need in order to enable your services so that's what your focus should be on as opposed to other areas of data where it may not be as impactful to the way in which you ensure service continuity so I think that is very important to appreciate that not all data is viewed or should be viewed in the same way and not all data should be given the same importance as, as others, which I think, Phil, was your question. And how does that affect the approach? So if an organisation has that clarity on what's their level of maturity and what matters most, you know, what's next? I think it's for them to realise that they need to take an agile approach in the way in which they begin to tackle their data. So, for example, if they view volunteer data in my previous example as the most important 
in order to support services that they provide. That needs to be what we can consider the first sprint, if we look at it in terms of agile and agile methodologies, that they need to tackle and that they need to place their focus on. And once that initial sprint is then completed, for example, for volunteer data, then they can look at the second piece of, um, or the second data set that they think is of most importance to them and then begin to uh, tackle that. So you take it in small increments as opposed to looking at it as a beast of, um, of data that kind of feels a little bit scary. So if you take that agile approach, it makes things much more manageable. Yeah, and it's it's a great way of managing the risk of the whole thing because if we're talking about the, the operating model, the risk of changing it all at once in one big bang is really quite high and, and the risk of those natural human resistances to change coming into play is that much greater. So, so to ask people to evolve with the evolving treatment of information and data, I think is a much more, much more humane way of going about this, but also a much less risky way of going about this from the point of view of delivery risk. It allows organisations to get value early and often and learn from that experience so that they can understand where is their organisation ready for this change and where does it need more support. And I think that's the real power of starting with a high level assessment to have just enough information to be dangerous and then building on that through real world practical implementation experience to understand how much how much value can we really extract from our data and how mature can we make our organization and and how much value can the organization deliver as a consequence of that just to add to that i think we also need to bear in mind that when we do benchmarking it can't be generic benchmarking. So if, for example, if you look for, at the not-for-profit sector, there may be certain aspects and certain dimensions of um, assessing the maturity that are of more importance just because of the scale in which they operate and the type of business that they operate. So if you look at corporates and kind of large-scale organizations, they might be more driven by profit, which is not the case with not-for-profits. So I think that's something to think about when you're choosing the right benchmarking tool to use. Great. Thank you both. I think we've discussed a whole rich variety of topics there around how to use and realize the benefits of data in the context of the not-for-profit sector. I think we've covered a brilliant amount to the specific challenges that our charities are facing during this pandemic. We've talked about a view in which the challenge can be addressed, looking at data maturity assessment and a framework. We've discussed and we've also discussed the way in which people, process and technology all need to take a balanced view when addressing data challenges, not just one particular dimension across that framework. Just any final thoughts, Phil, Anisha, I'd like to say thank you very much. It's been brilliant. Um, If you'd like to leave any final comments, closing questions for it if i was to leave the listener with one final thought it would simply be this which is data is nowhere near as scary or as complex as you might think and i I might be talking myself out of a job there but uh, (laughs) but definitely you know it's not something to be afraid of and actually there's huge huge value in it if you can find the way for it to complement the rest of your organization data doesn't need to be this big scary thing that people approach and think it's very overwhelming So if you take it bit by bit, you'll chip away and eventually find that at the end of the day, you'll get to a position where your data serves you much better for what you need it to do. And that 
the data-driven decision-making that enables you to meet your strategic goals will be addressed much quicker and much faster than you would anticipate and that you'd hope for. They do say uh, information is power and I think both of us can agree that that's definitely the case in, in the way we, we think about these problems. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you both very much and uh, have a lovely rest of your day. <laughs>